me ask you to grab your Bibles, whether that's in print or digital, whatever your preference, and turn with me to Luke, Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 10. And uh, as you're finding Luke chapter 10, verse 25, I just want to say uh, how excited I am to be here. Not only that, how humbled I am for this opportunity to share what's in my heart, uh, what the Lord's been teaching me uh, through this week. And uh, I just want to remind you to continue to praying uh, for Pastor Noel, for the staff, and everybody here. And so let's dive into the text. We're in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, here we go. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus told him, Do this, and you will live. Let's stop right there, and let's pray together. Bow your heads. Lord, as we come today to hear your word, may you be honored, may you be praised, Lord. Uh, we ask that you speak to us through your word. Lord, we want to honor you. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray this morning. Amen. Well, I think it's safe to say that everyone loves a feel-good story. Uh, in a world full of darkness, we like to find things that help us feel good, that make us uh, remember that there's not so much bad out in the world uh, that perhaps make us think uh, or say things, phrases like this one. Perhaps you've heard it before, faith in humanity restored. Have you ever heard something like that? Or perhaps not all heroes wear capes. Or perhaps a video like this one. Doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fussy inside? <laughs> I mean, it looks, at least to me it does. Or how about uh, uh, stories like this one that I found in a news article. It's called Good Samaritan Returns Wallet and Adds Money to It. And I just want to read to you the article real quick. It says, Hunter lost his wallet. He had little hope to get it back. Certainly not with interest, but he did. He was on his way from South Dakota to his sister's wedding in Las Vegas. And he left his wallet in the airplane that had this, held this 20-year-old's ID and debit card, as well as $60 in a signed paycheck. Uh, I would feel bad for this guy as well. He said that he was fearing that the worst, the worst because everything was gone. Luckily, the article continues, Todd, the man who found it, is a believer in paying it forward. He mailed everything back and then some. And this is what he said. Uh, he, he left a note in the wallet. He said, Hunter, I found this on a frontier flight from Omaha to Denver, uh, which between the seat and the wall of the plane, I thought you might want it back. Uh, all the best, P.S. I rounded your 60 to an even 100 uh, so you can celebrate having your wallet back. Have fun. I mean, can I lose my wallet and that happened to me as well? Uh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's a good investment. Uh, so article continues. That's right. While others may have snatched the cash, 
Todd gave the kid some more. He said, this is Todd, the man who found the wallet. Uh, I saw that he was just a kid, that he was 20 years old. He had a paycheck, and so I figured he's just trying to, to make the best and make ends meet. Uh, he said, I was 20 once, and that's a lot of money for a kid, Brown Reason. Uh, he decided not to give the wallet to the flight crew, just to send it back himself. And then uh, the, the teenager's mom, Janine, posted on Facebook. He, she said, I personally want to thank Todd for restoring faith that there are amazing people out there, that the world is not as grim as it's being out to be. And um, Todd then said, I didn't, exp- I didn't do this to try to get any kind of expectation, but uh, in today's world, what I want you to see here is that in today's world, being called a Samaritan is a good thing, right? It, it, it seems that that's the case. Uh, it's a virtuous thing, but it wasn't always that way. I want to look at this portion of Scripture today that uh, it is often one of the most misused uh, portions of Scripture, uh, not to say that we can't apply it in different ways, but I want to look today uh, at, the, at this passage in the perspective of the expert of the law, this lawyer, uh, who challenges Jesus, and he asks a very important question. For some of you, this is going to be simple review, so hold on, hang on. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be something that you have never considered And so we're breaking down uh, into three parts. We're going to look at the interaction between this expert in the law and Jesus. We'll focus on the story itself in part two, and then we'll uh, finish the resolution of this encounter, and hopefully all under 30 minutes. I see some smiles. Okay, here we go. Let's dive into the text. So Luke 10, 25 says that an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, notice the information we're given. This is an expert in the law. This is a man who was an expert in Jewish tradition. He knew the law well. He knew, he knew the law of Moses. He knew the Ten Commandments. He knew the Levitical writings and the prophets. Um, we could think of this man as a modern-day theologian. Uh, but his motives aren't really, really pure. He, he, it says that he stands up all of a sudden to test him. The word test comes from the, a Greek word that means to probe, to want to analyze, to, to see if someone uh, it really knows what they're saying, really knows what they're doing. Um, so here this lawyer stands up and asks a really good question. In fact, it is the same question that the rich young ruler from Mark chapter 10 asks, but this lawyer has a different motive. So let's look at uh, verse 26. He says, uh, Jesus says, what is written in the law? Uh, Jesus asks, how do you read it? Have you noticed that Jesus always replies with a question? I, 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 I'm very interested in this. I always see that Jesus always replies with a question. And I think it's because he knows, Jesus knows what's really in this man's heart. He knows his true motive. Uh, he asks the questions because he knows uh, what, what will happen. And he's, he's basically asking the question. He's saying, tell me what you see. Tell me your interpretation, uh, because this will reveal what's truly in this man's heart. Um, So let's look at verse 27. It says uh, that the man, this expert in the law, this lawyer, answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's a brilliant answer. I mean, to us, it may not seem that way. Uh, because we, we have the full canon of Scripture. We know that's the answer, right? We all have studied the Scripture. We know that. But back then, it wasn't so. Back then, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And, you know, the Old Testament was the old biblical writings. Uh, but this man was able to, to look at 
all of the information given by God to his people and put it together in two simple sentences. And to me, that's just brilliant. Um, he employs two key pack, two, uh, passages, and I want to look at those today. They'll be on the screen, uh, but if you want to look for it, it's Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. And then he also employs a portion from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 through 16, which say, Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. I was trying to think of an example uh, that would make sense, and I don't even know if it's going to make sense to you, but it makes sense to me. Uh, Albert Einstein was a brilliant man. Uh, I hope you've heard of that name before, Albert Einstein. He developed the equation E equals MC squared. And uh, he, Einstein, in his time, was able to see the relationship between energy and mass. Um, and I, if we have that image, I think I, I yeah. So you see that? <laughs> it's a little complicated, right? I mean, it is. And so Einstein is able to see all this gibberish <laughs> and say, oh, that's E equals MC squared. is a relation between energy and mass times the speed of light squared. Don't ask me how I know that. <clears throat> and so for those of you wondering, okay, how can I use this? This is, you can apply this when you drive your car, when you're driving your car, as the engine is burning gasoline, it is transforming energy into a different form. It is converting some of that mass, of, uh, some of that liquid of, of the gasoline into energy to make your car move. So there you go. You've learned something new today. And the lawyer, in this case, is expert in the law, is able to see something so complex that everybody thought is so complex and narrow it down to just two sentences. Love God. Love your neighbor. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Here's your star right on your forehead. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. What I want you to see, church, this morning, it's not anything new. It's just a reminder that knowledge alone does not create love for God. Uh, I know you're probably thinking that's a strong statement. Um, uh, Pastor Caleb, I read my Bible every day. I love the Lord. What, what do you mean that knowledge alone does not uh, create love for God. Well, I'm not saying that reading your Bible isn't good. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that or the scholarship isn't good. Uh, I mean, uh, all I'm saying is that knowledge for the sake of knowledge, for knowledge's sake, um, will not prompt us to respond to God's love. Listen, I am a seminary student. I am asked to read a lot of things. It is often described as drinking from a fire hydrant, and I can tell you it is true. Uh, we're, we're having to read a lot of books and write papers constantly, but that doesn't make me a better Christian. That doesn't make me love God more. Uh, but because I am saved, because I have placed my faith in Jesus, now I want to know more of him because I'm in relationship with him. Through the Holy Spirit, we're able to see more than mere information in those pages as we read God's word. We grow in relationship with Christ and desire to know more about the Father as he reveals it to us through his word. So it is not mere knowledge of God, but faith in God 
that results in a transformation from within. Uh, listen to what Jesus says right before this parable, uh, right before we start. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, so just a couple of verses back, he says, At that time he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Uh, it, it takes the faith component in there. It is not by mere knowledge, but by faith in the finished work of Christ that we respond to his love for us. There are many who read the scriptures front and back three, four times and still fail to see that or just simply don't want to see it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love is what builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he's known by him. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, hear those words. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through, his, uh, through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed in, believed in him through the foolishness of what is preached, the gospel. Let's continue. Look at verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, this is the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The word neighbor comes from the, the, the Greek uh, plasion, which means uh, nearby, near, or neighbor, uh, fellow human being. But it, it's more than in the way that we normally understand neighbor, um, in the sense that the person that lives next to me, in front of me, behind me, or perhaps two houses beside me, it, it, it is meant to, to uh, it, at least for the Jews, it meant exclusivity, only other Jews are my neighbor. Um, and that, that's at least what they believed. But let's see how Jesus answers this man in verse 30. He says, it says that Jesus takes up the question and says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Did you notice what he did? Jesus does not answer the question. He says, let me tell you a story. And that is because ingrained in us, we, we've somehow, in, in, in God's greatness and how he created us, he knows we learn by storytelling. And this is, why the, this is one of the reasons I started with a few stories, so you could understand what I'm trying to, to tell you that the Lord has revealed to us. Um, and so Jesus sets the scene. This man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, if you're not familiar with Jerusalem to Jericho, and I'm not either, but I looked this up, um, <laughs> It is, Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet up, and Jericho is about 1,000 feet uh, below sea level. This is a 17-mile winding road. So think uh, a walk from here all the way to Lufkin. That's a pretty long distance, right? Now imagine that going downhill, winding road, hills and valleys, plenty of places for people to hide and rob you. That's the road that this man is on. It is full of robbers and thieves. They had no mercy. Look at verse 31. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest. Surely a priest would have stopped, right? 
a priest uh, had a special and important role in Israel. A priest was a religious leader. He knew the law. He knew the commandments. They performed sacrifices. They maintained the holy sites. But, but look at the pattern. He sees the man. He passes by on the other side and continues walking. Look at verse 32. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Levites were also priests. They were, as you know, they were uh, servants of some sort, assistants to uh, the uh, priests of the Aaronic um, lineage. Uh, they were given to Aaron for service. And I'm, I'm thinking, this lawyer is probably thinking, well, why didn't these two guys stop? They're my neighbors. Why aren't they stopping to help this man? The Levite sees the need, but he moves far from the need uh, to the other side of the road, and it says that he moves on. Did you notice the same pattern? They see it, they walk on the other side, they avoid it, and move on. That tells me that loving our neighbor is difficult. It is, it's true. Uh, Loving our neighbor, neighbor is very difficult. These two men are important, God-fearing people, and yet they they didn't do anything about this man that was on the road. Um, I was reading some commentaries as I was uh, preparing for today, and a lot of the theologians say, well, maybe it's because the the priest, you know, he had to offer sacrifice, he didn't want to defile himself because the law says that you're not supposed to defile yourself, or the Levite, perhaps he was running late, he was obviously behind the priest, but he should have been before the priest, setting up the altar and everything. Uh, I think that's speculating too much. I think scripture is true. Everything that we're given is for a reason, and I think that's because we can often make excuses. I think we're we're given that information. Uh, We're not given that information because we don't need it. Uh, There are certainly good reasons in our lives for walking complete opposite of the issue. Uh, In this case, Jesus is just trying to help the lawyer, this expert, to see something. So here is this man, half beaten to death, hoping for his life. And then look at verse 33. Here comes a change in the story. But a Samaritan, yes, good news, a Samaritan is coming, right? You can nod, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, unfortunately this is not the case Uh, our western eyes our western culture doesn't allow us to see just how Jews were viewed but we can certainly understand uh, uh, from scripture look at uh, John chapter 4 verse 9 it says how is it that you speaking to Jesus a Jew asked for a drink from me a Samaritan woman for Jews do do not associate with Samaritans Or how about uh, John chapter 8, verse 48? The Jews responded, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That's how much they hated Samaritans. They they, they said to Jesus, you have a demon in you because you're saying these things. And so they were hated because they they came by as a byproduct of intermarriages between Jews and non-Jews. They settled in the city of Samaria and said, hey, we worship the same God you do. But the Jews said, no, you don't. God is only for us, not for you. They failed to see uh, the full revelation that God had given them. And so verse 33 continues here, enters the Samaritan, and, and on verse 33, on his journey, the Samaritan comes and sees him, and he saw the man, and look at the pattern, and he had compassion. 
Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Loving our neighbor requires compassion. Verse 34 says that he went over him, over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine. Uh, we don't know if this man is carrying uh, bandages, but if he doesn't, he's got to tear his clothes and bandage this man who's bleeding to death. It says he pours olive oil uh, and wine. Uh, some of the commentaries say that olive oil was used for the bruising and, and, and when they, they, these people beat him, and that wine was used for the cuts, the open cuts that this man has that the robbers left on him. It says that he put him on his own animal, so now he's given up his way of transport, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Uh, loving our neighbor requires humility. It requires us to take action. It requires us to do more than, than just uh, handing something out. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 35 says that the next day he took out two denarii. Um, I looked up the rate between dollars and denarii, and I don't know how accurate it is, but um, some of the stuff I read uh, says that it's about two months' worth of staying at a hotel. That's a lot of money. Some say two days. I'll give it something in between. Um, and it says he gives him, he gives him to the innkeeper uh, in verse 35 and says, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever you spend. Just wow. Wow. Um, Hebrews 13, chapter 13, verse 16 says, don't, don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Loving our neighbor, loving another individual requires sacrifice. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I, I wonder what the lawyer is thinking at this point. Um, the story, I think, did not go the way that he thought it was going to go. Uh, perhaps he's, he's thinking to himself, why would this Samaritan man, who is our enemy, help our friend, help one of our own? Why would he do this? What is Jesus trying to do with the story? Why did he start the story? Now I'm wondering, what am I going to do? But look at what Jesus says next in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Wait a minute. That's not the question. Did you notice that? Did you catch that? The expert in the law asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus reformulates the question and says, which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? To the lawyer, the neighbor was the man who was beaten half to death or the priest or the Levite, but not the Samaritan. 
the Samaritan saw a neighbor, though he was in a, an enemy. Uh, church, how we respond is directly related to what we see. Uh, kind of like that phrase, you are what you eat, <laughs> you are what you see. Uh, again, the Samaritan saw a neighbor, a, a fellow man in need, but the lawyer sees an enemy in the Samaritan. And that's what Jesus is trying to change. Jesus, Jesus is trying to say, hey, a neighbor is anyone. Any human being in front of you is a neighbor. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says mankind he has hold, he has told each of you speaking of God what is good and what it is that the Lord requires of you to act justly to love faithfulness to walk humbly with your God uh, they despise these Samaritans so much that look at the way that uh, this expert answers on verse 37 to the question he says the one who showed mercy on him do you notice he doesn't even say Samaritan? He can't bring himself to say it. And Jesus says, go and do the same. We, we don't know what happens after this. Uh, much like the rich young ruler who walks away, we don't know what happens. Uh, perhaps he's convicted in his heart. Perhaps he's hardened his heart. We don't know. And we don't need to know. There is a reason why scripture doesn't give us all of that information. Um, Back in 2001, when uh, my family moved here to the United States, uh, here to Nacogdoches, um, it, it was a difficult time for all of us. Um, many of you uh, know of 2001 and the things that happened that year. Um, when we moved here, I was placed in an ESL class uh, right away. For, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, ESL is English as a Second Language. In this class, you're put with a lot of other students who don't speak English, like, like, like myself at the time, and, and, and they're trying to speed you up and get you to learn and get to the place where you uh, can have all the language skills and cultural skills to function in society. And as the year went on, I, I wanted to find opportunities to learn more, uh, to, to do more, to, to be more, to assimilate to the culture. Um, so at the end of seventh grade, I decided I've got to end this ESO program. I am never going to get better if I'm just staying with the pack. I know it's selfish, but, well, you know, what do you say? And so I asked all my teachers and I asked the social worker, how can I get out of this ESO program? And they said, you cannot do it. Absolutely not. We cannot allow you to do it. And I said, please help me. <laughs> I want to do better. I want to uh, assimilate with the culture. I want to be... Uh, speaking the best I can without an accent, though I still have it. But uh, they told me, you got to get all these papers signed. You got to um, get it approved by every one of your teachers. And so I did. I began to work. I began getting this, this form signed and everything. My parents were kind of iffy about it, but they said, we, we, we support you, and they signed the paper as well. So eighth grade, uh, I began eighth grade in my first, first class was English pre-AP. Yep, I hear it. I know. I didn't know what I was doing, but I put myself in the hardest class <laughs> that year <laughs> and in the hardest language that I've ever had to learn. Um, 
And so if you can imagine, I walk into the class, I sit down, and the teacher stands and says, well, good morning, everybody. Grab your books. Uh, turn to page 28, and we're going to start reading uh, uh, on literature today. And all I hear is books. And I'm just standing there going, I, I got myself in trouble. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I began to feel the weight of what this was. <clears throat> I looked around, and uh, everybody was focused on their own thing, trying to find the page, trying to grab their, their, their books, their notebooks, their highlighters, and all those things. Uh, I'm just looking around. Okay, I think everybody's grabbing their books, so that's probably what I should do. I think everybody's turning to a page. I don't really know which one, but let me look around to see <laughs> what everybody has. And every class was like this. Every class, uh, I was having to catch up to what was going on. I tried to ask for help. Uh, most people would just kind of try to guide me, but again, don't really understand the language, so you can give me instructions, but it's not, it's not helping. And uh, so I, I was just in a, in a state of, of uh, despair, and I went to find my, my friends, who I was uh, together with all through seventh grade, and they didn't want anything to do with me. They said, you've rejected us, you're too good for us, so why don't you go and go back to those people. So I find myself ignored by one side, rejected by the other. <clears throat> find myself struggling uh, in need, and uh, my parents are in the summit service right now. They've never heard the story. They, they've never known that this was a really difficult time for me. But there was a kid, and I, I won't say his name, uh, but he saw my need. I didn't realize it then, but he was in the same classroom, almost in every class that I had. Um, and he just sat in the back. For some reason, I always sat in the front. And I still do. You saw me coming in and sitting in the front. And uh, he, he came to me and said, hey, do you need help? And I said, no, I got it. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I said, thank you. And he's like, well, OK. Do you understand what the teacher just said to do? Yeah, of course. Okay, you have the wrong book and the wrong item, so I don't fully know if you, uh, if you know what you're doing. And I think the Lord convicted me at that moment, and I said, you know what? I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand. Um, and he went and asked the teacher and said, can I please sit by him? Can we get reassigned? And uh, she, he went to every teacher in every class that I was, and did the same thing. Um, he would sit beside me. He would take time to listen to the instructions and ask, did you understand? And still, as proudly as ever, yes, I did. Okay, how do you read it? <laughs> I said, ah, oh, well, here's how I understand it. Nope, that's not it, but here, let me try to break it down for you. He took compassion, he humbled himself, he sacrificed his own time in class for me. Uh, not only was, was he amazing, his family, uh, they took me in, kind of made me one of their own. They, they even, uh, and I, to this day I don't believe it, they got a cell phone. It was, it was a cheap cell phone. I'm almost done. <laughs> and, and they said, I said, you don't have to do this. And they said, we want you to have this because in case of a need, you can call your parents or you can call us, your adoptive parents. 
And to this day, I'm so thankful for, for, for what they did for me, <clears throat> for what they did for my family, how they loved me. They, were, they're, they are believers. They're Christian. They love Jesus with all their heart. Church, love for our neighbor flows out of radical love for Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 21 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. What needs do you see in your everyday life? We have been learning about how to pray prayers that honor God. Let's apply this to those prayers. Let's pray uh, and ask the Lord to help us to see a need, to meet a need that will give us the opportunity to offer the greatest need, and that is salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here today uh, or watching online, uh, and you have the same question as this ex expert in the law who thought he knew everything and yet missed the one point, and that is that we all have a great need for salvation. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died so that we may have eternal life. Romans 5 Chapter 5, verse 6 through 11 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. This is a free gift that God has given us through Jesus Romans chapter 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, the Father, the Lord has had compassion on us. Psalm 103, 13 says, As a, fa as a father has compa compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Surrender your life to Jesus today and receive the free gift of life. Let's pray. Heads bowed. Lord, we understand that good cannot come from us. Good can only come from you. Lord, we have gathered here today to praise you, to honor you, but also to hear your word. Lord, I pray that what we have looked at today will encourage us to love our neighbor, to show compassion to others, Lord, and to give them, give them their greatest, greatest need, which is Jesus Christ. I pray for those who couldn't be here with us today. I pray for our pastor who's not here with us today. 
And just thankful for this church, Lord. Be, be with those who are sick, with those who are ill, and couldn't be with us either. And Lord, we want to worship you. We pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.